This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Dr. Judith Blackstone. Judith is an innovative teacher in the contemporary spiritual and psychotherapy fields. She has developed the realization process, a method of realizing fundamental or non-dual consciousness, and applying it to psychological and physical healing, and has taught the realization process for over 25 years. Judith is the author, with Sounds True, of the book, The Intimate Life, Awakening to the Spiritual Essence in Yourself and Others, and also the audio learning series, The Realization Process, a step-by-step guide to embodied spiritual awakening. Most recently with Sounds True, Judith has authored a new book called Belonging Here, a guide for the spiritually sensitive person, where she explores five of the most common challenges of people who are spiritually sensitive, along with exercises and meditations for living mindfully and compassionately. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Judith and I spoke about the gifts and challenges of spiritual sensitivity. We talked about what it means to be transparent to life and the paradox that we feel more connected to our unity with others in the outer world when we experience the internal space of the body. We also talked about spiritual bypassing and our tendency to avoid feeling pain and what it might mean to actually let pain move through us. And finally, we talked about what a working definition of spiritual maturity might be. Here's my very deep and, for me, personally meaningful conversation with Dr. Judith Blackstone. Judith, in your new book, Belonging Here, you talk about a class of people, if you will, that you call, quote, spiritually sensitive people. So what does it mean to be someone who's spiritually sensitive? Yeah, spiritually sensitive can take... uh can take several forms, but in general, it's a it's a particular attunement to or openness to life uh, that many people who wind up doing spiritual work, who find themselves on a spiritual path, have actually had all their lives. And it can take the form of um, sensory sensitivity. Uh, that's you know sensitivity to sounds, uh, to to light, to to subtle light emanating from nature. Uh, it can take the form of emotional sensitivity where 
everything moves you you know the 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 pigeons on the rooftop move you and the and certainly uh there's tremendous attunement to other people's emotional states uh, so that you're you're aware of every every little fluctuation um even when even when these emotions aren't at all expressed you can feel them in another person's body and so forth um and very often you can feel them in your own body as well what other people are feeling and it can also take the form of cognitive sensitivity a sensitivity to meanings where you where you are able to to know what's going on what's going on between people um you can you can see the the big picture it's um sometimes that's called holistic thinking you can you have a kind of perspective where the the play that's being uh, unfolded between people becomes very clear because you're not just looking from one perspective but you're looking from the perspective of everyone involved and that kind of cognitive sensitivity is also um also helps you um feel philosophically inclined so that you have some understanding or resonance with um all of the philosophies that we have on the planet but certainly the philosophies that accompany spiritual practice that that come uh, within spiritual traditions so now i have a positive word being spiritually sensitive instead of just thinking you know i'm a total freak i guess what i'm talking about here is do you think it's that a certain percentage of people are born this way? I mean, that you just come out of the womb and, you know, that's a spiritually sensitive person. Like someone else might be born and they have the makings of a great athlete or a great musician. You know, that seems to be the case. Uh, you know, of course, I can't say that definitively. I haven't done a you know, scientific research on that, but it certainly uh, seems to be the case that this is that this is a kind of talent that we're born with. For example, I worked with a man who who was a an identical twin, uh, you know, and um, and felt much more sensitive, just just much more deeply attuned to life than his than his twin. So. And you know when you say you know so so I'm not a freak. Of course, if you grow up feeling attuned in, to to the world in a way that the people around you are not, especially the important people around you, like your parents or your siblings, your teachers, then you can certainly grow up feeling as if you're quite odd. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that part of what you're doing with this book is? Is this part of your conscious intent to help people who have perhaps felt odd or freakish understand that they have a different kind of sensitivity and that that can be honored and celebrated? Yes, absolutely. Um, so there's that. You know, there's the self-respect, you know, and the, the honoring of that gift and the appreciation of it. And then there's how those gifts are actually entrance ways into spiritual awakening or spiritual maturity. Uh, so, you know, emotional sensitivity, of course, is an openness of the heart. And if that's cultivated rather than clamped down on, if it's allowed to be cultivated, then it becomes that wide open, unconditional love that's part of spiritual maturity. And the same with sensory sensitivity and cognitive sensitivity. Now, in Belonging Here, you actually put 
spiritually sensitive people into five categories. And you're very careful to say that these categories are not definitive, that many people find themselves in several categories. And, you know, it's just an architecture that can be helpful. And I'm curious how you came up with these five categories. And if you can just, you've already introduced them in our discussion, but if you can clearly identify these five different categories and how you developed this system. Yeah. I have been uh, working with people as a as a psychotherapist and a spiritual teacher for oh I don't know 35 years a long time and so over the years I've come to notice patterns that that many of the people who come to work with me for example um would describe themselves as thin-skinned that that any kind of sound or the a motor sound the white what other people would think of as white noise or background noise seems to seems to penetrate and overwhelm them um so so that was certainly one one category um you know another is that many people who have this kind of openness uh have a abundant kind of energy that that kind of streaming uh not, you know not just energy in the sense of vitality but that actual streaming pulsating aspect of ourselves that fluidity and so that can create kind of ungroundedness you know now many people you know we all organize ourselves in certain ways in childhood to protect ourselves from abrasive elements in our environment but if we have a lot of energy we can really sail up very easily above above the environment you know we can become quite ungrounded um and and by the same token we can become quite diffuse so that we abandon ourselves and and um and diffuse out into the environment energetically so that's you know that's a, a way of using our gift protectively uh, so, so that became another because I've seen that so often. That became another so-called category, uh, and um, another is the sense of um, of being trapped in unreality. As we as we organize ourselves in childhood to cope with you know, all the various rejections and and confusions that come up, even a totally normal uh, loving household. Um, as we organize ourselves in that way, we do become further and further away from the actual authentic impact of life and our own authentic response to life. Right? So we become a kind of caricature of ourselves, all, all of us to some extent. We become a, an abstract idea of ourselves in certain ways, and we think of ourselves that way. We think of ourselves as, you know, I am a teacher, I am a vulnerable person. You know, there's an abstraction rather than actual uh, felt experience of ourselves. So in in doing that, we become less real in a way. Right? We become less spontaneously, authentically uh, responsive to life. And spirit and people with a certain kind of gift. Part of the spiritual gift that I didn't mention earlier is an ability to detect dissonance uh, from 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 consonants from from harmony, uh, the ability to detect off balanceness or, or unreality, and so even though we have all created this unreality to some extent, people with this particular spiritual gift feel very trapped in it. 
they suffer from it. So that became another category. The, you know, those categories, actually, the five categories are, are presented as challenges. So the first one is the challenge of becoming resilient, that thin-skinnedness, or the challenge of not feeling impinged upon by life. And the second was the challenge of being grounded. And then another, this one is like the challenge of becoming authentic. Another challenge I mention um, is the challenge of being happy even when you're attuned to so much suffering in the world. The the degree of suffering in the world um, seems pretty constant. You know, if we look back at history, it looks like there's always been suffering in the world. And in fact, the Buddha himself is said to have claimed that life is suffering and and, uh, people with emotional sensitivity are very clued into this suffering. And so, and they're clued into their parents' suffering to begin with, right? Even a fairly happy uh, parent can can have layers of sadness underneath, or layers of anger, and th- most people won't won't even penetrate through to those layers, won't be aware of them. But a person with a lot of emotional sensitivity will will be able to detect that sadness or loneliness or frustration, whatever's going on deeply inside a person, and then it becomes hard for them to be happy themselves. How can I be happy when there's so much suffering in the world? Uh, you know, one of the definitions of um, of the bodhisattva in Buddhism is the person who hears the cries of the world. And now, of course, with television, with all the media, the, those cries of the world are, are amplified, are brought into our, our homes. So that becomes another challenge that I write about, right? Another another chapter in the book, the challenge of being happy even without losing our attunement, our responsiveness to the to the suffering around us. And then the last challenge that I mention in the book is the challenge of of acceptance, of accepting this flawed world that we live in and our own human limitations. That spiritual awakening is not a matter of becoming non human. In fact we become more human. And some of our limitations we we will have all our lives. There's no question. And if we look at the the really great spiritual teachers closely uh, with attunement, we can see that there's some suffering left in in every human being. So so that that challenge of accepting oneself, of, of not trying to purify oneself with, you know, starvation or, you know, a million mantras, you know, all day long, so forth, uh, but the acceptance of oneself um, as um, as a human being. Uh, that becomes a very important part of spiritual maturity as well. You know, Judith, there's so much I want to talk to you about in this, and I notice it's all very close to me, very close to my heart. And I just want to circle back for a moment as we unpack this conversation because, you know, I started by saying, oh, now there's a term like spiritually sensitive instead of quote-unquote freak. And, you know, it does seem to me that in our contemporary Western world, people who are, you know, thin-skinned and who really feel the pain of other people and people who are particularly sensitive to, you know, when people are off or not being truthful, those kinds of things aren't necessarily 
validated in our contemporary Western society the same way as, you know, get a thick skin, bounce back, you know, you can be productive, be good in school. Come on, we got to rush. We got to get out of here. I mean, that there is a sort of bias, it seems to me, in our contemporary situation, which says, you know, kind of buck up and be a tough producer. I'm curious what you think about that, meaning, is it particularly difficult to be spiritually sensitive, using that term, in our contemporary Western world, do you think? Yes, certainly. Certainly. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure compared to what. I'm not sure if it's if it's more difficult than it was 200 years ago. I have a feeling it's probably less difficult. Um, but but always the the main stream of society is going to value um, productivity and the toughness that 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 requires uh, the ability to to keep your eye on the ball you know your nose to the grindstone whatever it is and not be um, not be disturbed by uh, the actual sensory experience or emotional experience of, of life. Do you think that there's a percentage of the population that finds themselves in this spiritually sensitive category? I mean, would you say it's a, you know, very small, I know, you know, getting into numbers is difficult, but do you have a sense of that? Um, I really don't. You know, uh, there's a, there's that study done by uh, Elaine Aaron, I believe her name is, who, who talked about the highly sensitive person. And she wasn't specifically talking about spirituality, and she was talking mostly about sensory uh, sensitivity. Um, and she came up with the 20% number, I believe. So um, I, think, I think that's the number she came up with. But I have not done that kind of study, and because of where I'm situated in life, which is working with spiritually gifted people and, um, and being on a spiritual path myself, it looks like quite a lot of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I really don't know what the, what the numbers would be. Mm-hmm. Um, very often, one is the only one in one's family like this. So that might give you a sense of, of numbers. Mm-hmm. And would you say that in terms of your own life, one of these five categories or a couple of these were the ones that were really the ways that you experienced your own spiritual sensitivity? Yeah, I'd be hard-pressed to eliminate a category in my own experience, and so that tells you something about why I've chosen these particular categories. I'm sure there are others, and these are the ones I'm sensitive to. I um, I have... I started out as extremely diffuse and ungrounded and trapped in a really odd persona. It was really hard. And this is how, this is how uh, the realization process, which is, of course, what the book is mostly about, this, this uh, method for becoming back in one's body, for feeling comfortable and alive within one's body and at the same time connected with everything around oneself, um, and uh, the cultivation of the ability to tolerate one's sensitivity. Uh, this is how it came about, you know, for me to feel authentic. You know, I knew I was off and I was out of contact with people around me, um, and it was a it was a tremendous suffering for me. But it but it was very hard to know how to get back. You know, simply understanding um, that I was off didn't seem to do it. I had to really enter into my body 
in a way uh, where I actually felt uh, a oneness with the with the life around me. I didn't feel real. I didn't feel authentic until until that occurred. Until I could actually drop down and feel that my that the center of my being was the center of of, of all being. It was the center of everyone's being. The center of the the being of the the trees and the mountains. Right? that I could drop down into actual center. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to talk more about the realization process and how it addresses all five of these different aspects of spiritual sensitivity. But just one thing I really want to understand, because you've talked about people who find themselves in one or more of these categories, all of these, and I know it's a little weird to talk about them as categories, but we'll just keep going here, as having both gifts and challenges. And I wonder if you can just say a little bit about that, the idea of the gift and the challenge and how they might go together or come together in someone's life. Sure. Um, This is just what they are. And, you know, like, for example, sensory uh, sensitivity. Well, that that's obviously a gift. It's wonderful to be able to see the light emanating from people to to and and everything in nature to be privy to that very subtle aspect of life. And also uh, as we become even more sensitive, we come to actual spiritual awakening of knowing ourselves as a very extremely subtle uh, dimension of consciousness pervading everywhere, uh, transparency uh, that pervades everywhere and that's that's what I'm talking about, the spiritual awakening. So sensory sensitivity is an is a doorway into that, and and it's a it's a wonderful gift. Um, but uh, it can be also uh, very uh, limiting, you know, not to be able to sit in a room where there's a, a you know loud motor going on, not not to be able to walk down a city street without feeling completely shattered by by sensory stimulation um, uh, can be a you know terrific problem now it turns out that when we actually reach this uh, this ground of our being this very subtle consciousness that we can know ourselves as then we can allow this stimulation to move through that ground and it doesn't disturb it, it doesn't disturb our basic identity uh, and that's a that's an amazing shift for someone who grows up with sensory sensitivity that we can actually become even more sensitive that we don't have to protect ourselves against the world but we can allow the vibration of sensory stimulation sounds sights we can allow the vibrations of other human beings uh, and all of their emotional life to pass through that ground of our being without rattling us without uh, disturbing us or altering our own being in any way so even though we're responsive to other people, we're no longer altered by them. We're no longer blown about by the winds. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to just go into that a little bit more directly right here, because I think that's something that many listeners would love to be able to do, love to be able to feel very sensitively the experience that's coming at them and then have it move through. I mean, you talk about it as being resilient. So how would I grow in my ability to be resilient like that? So the interesting thing is that when we inhabit our body, 
and, and let me talk a little bit about what I mean by that, because I don't just mean awareness of the body. Like, like what I don't mean is I don't mean um, being aware of our breath or just being aware of the, the sensation of our feet on the ground. But I mean actually being present within our body so that we feel, we have a sense that we are the internal space of our body, that we live there. When that happens, then the constructed boundary between inside and outside actually dissolves, and we find ourselves in this expanse, this luminous expanse, which, by the way, has been talked about for thousands of years in in the East, particularly, uh, this luminous expanse, right? And um, we can actually enter into it quite naturally just by inhabiting our own body. And inhabiting our own body is something that's very easy to cultivate. It's like being in your feet, actually being present within your feet, being in your ankles and your lower legs and so forth, being in the whole body. So as that occurs, and then we, and as we live within the whole body, the body itself becomes transparent. We, what I mean by that is we experience it as transparent, as clear through open. And when we experience that, then the vibrations of life can move through that, that emptiness without disturbing that emptiness at all. Now, we're not missing in that. We're actually present. And that's what's so interesting is that it's presence itself that is transparent in that way. So we don't go missing. We don't abandon ourselves. We become even more present, even more uh, palpably existing as we become open in that way. And in that presence and emptiness, uh, then then the vibrations of life can move right through us. Well, what you're saying, as I hear the words, it sounds very paradoxical, in a sense. The more I occupy the internal space of my body, the more there's a sense of what you're calling realization of being one with everything. That That seems in itself kind of paradoxical. I'm occupying myself, but I'm unified with all life at the same time. Yes, it is. It's paradoxical, and and it's fantastically benevolent that we can feel deeply in contact with the world around us as, and really only as, we cultivate that deep contact within ourselves. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. Sounds True hosts an annual wake-up festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. This is a gathering of spiritual teachers, artists, poets, and anyone interested in the many faces of awakening. For more information about the wake-up festival, please visit soundstrue.com forward slash wake up. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Okay, so we're talking about this thin-skinned person who learns how to deal with their sensitivity and becomes resilient. Then you talked about the challenge of someone who has quite a lot of energy 
and the challenge of being grounded. How would you help someone become more grounded? So uh, grounding has two aspects to it. One is the the actual uh, knowing the lower uh, portions of ourselves, you know, our actual connection to the ground that we're standing on. Um, and that requires inhabiting the lower part of our body. You know, we all we all are in touch with ourselves to some extent. Hopefully, you know, every human being is to some degree in touch with themselves, uh, in contact with, with themselves internally. But most people are more in contact with the upper part of their body than the lower and that's just simply been a cultural preference that's been handed down um, generation to generation, um, in, uh, augmented through with, uh, Western religious teachings that what's important is to be loving and aware, but not so much uh, powerful or sexual or in in the the connected to the, the functions that occur that we become more in touch with as we inhabit the lower parts of our being. So uh, so just to, just to inhabit your feet and actually feel that you are the internal space of your feet will connect you to the transparency that pervades you and the ground. That's real grounding. The other aspect of grounding is, you know, I talked about that diffusion about how some people rise up above themselves and some people diffuse outward from themselves, leaving the internal space of the body vacant. And they live in the in the air around themselves. Actually, we all do that to some extent, but these people can do it to a high degree. And then the grounding is becoming connected internally all the way through to the core of themselves. So, you know, in the realization process, there are specific exercises for inhabiting the body, the whole body, and also for connecting to a very subtle core of the body, vertical core of the body that runs through the torso, neck, and head. And people who have diffused themselves outward really need to come in touch with that subtle core, vertical core of the body so that they know themselves all the way through to their inner depth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, the gift of the person who has this capacity to have a lot of energy and be quite diffuse. What's their gift? Well, the, the openness, the, the energy, um, is, is a wonderful gift. It's, it's, uh, it's the source of feeling extremely vital and empowered. And, and, um, and once, once you're actually living inside your body and the energy and you experience that energy moving through the internal space of the body, you feel extremely alive throughout your whole throughout your whole being. And then of course there are other benefits to having that kind of energy. Some people are able to to heal other people through through touch, um, to um, to connect, uh, to feel extreme deep contact on the level of energy. You know, we can keep going through the three other categories, but I just want to ask this question. It seems that your antidote to the challenges and the difficulties of each type of spiritual sensitivity is some approach of embodiment. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, it is. I mean, to accept oneself um, is, to, is to really know oneself, to experience the love in one's own chest, to experience the actual, actual power so that we don't need to 
protect ourselves from uh, what we perceive as as uh, forces that might overpower us. Um, all, you know, all that is entailed in in inhabiting our own in inhabiting our own body. So, so yes, I frankly feel that inhabiting our own body, really knowing ourselves and coming alive as as all our essential functions, our ability to love, to understand, to feel empowered, uh, to feel sexually responsive, um, that that all occurs through through becoming present within ourselves. And in your view, do all people find ways to go disembodied, or are spiritually sensitive people more likely to take this disembodied route? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think everyone uh, disembodies themselves. Uh, they're just not, uh, perhaps not as as deeply. For example, a person who's very open, um, they they already have, as children, a lot of contact with themselves, and they can then bind themselves or fragment themselves or, or distort themselves very deeply with a lot of force of will. Um, so... So what you often get is, uh, as they as they come into adulthood, a very a very uh, deep, a very intense imbalance between what's open and what's closed. So, in other words, a spiritually sensitive person can grip themselves uh, with extreme tightness. Now, the good news is that they can use that same sensitivity to get right inside that gripping and let go. Um, they're also more bothered by it. Uh, you know, they they want to be open. They want to feel oneness with everything. They they have an, an intuition uh, or or a glimpse of that deep contact that that they're capable of, and they want to get there. Whereas other people can live their whole lives as you know, as abstractions, as ideas about themselves, as as the kind of roles that they that they take on, uh, without needing that kind of contact with themselves without needing that openness. Mm -hmm. And then what would you say is the embodiment antidote, if you will, to the person who's so sensitive to pain, the person who hears the cries of the world and is overwhelmed by it and has this challenge of being happy? Yes. Well, there again, you know, when we know ourselves as that transparency, as that presence and openness, then um, the emotional vibrations can pass through us, you know, so we can build much more tolerance for allowing other people's pain to move through us without us, what, what we call taking on that pain, without, without mirroring them. Now, that doesn't mean we become unresponsive, right? So we may see that person in pain over there across the room from us and feel a response in ourselves but we don't become them, right? We're not entrained. We don't. We don't. We don't mirror that that sadness, right? You know, we can feel the space, the the luminous transparency that pervades them and us. We can still be in ourselves. We can still be whole in our own body, having our own feelings. Um, now, also, we come into, as I said, as we inhabit our body, we come into the qualities of being. Uh, that are that emanate from within the body, uh, love and voice and understanding, power, sexuality. Um, 
So when we feel love within our own chest, you know, there's a there's always a happiness to that. So we find that we have happiness emanating from our own from our own core that 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 our body makes happiness and um and that we're not being happy at the at the expense of other people that this is our natural birthright and does not interfere with our responsiveness towards them with our actual care for other people in fact it increases that in some ways, as you describe the person who's very sensitive to emotional pain, it's sort of similar in a sense to the people who are very sensitive to bright lights or noises, but just more on the emotional frequency. Would you say that's fair? Yes, yes. Another thing that happens for the emotional person is, as they inhabit their body is they come into other ways of being. For example, I just, you know worked with a woman just this last week and of course many of the people I work with are like this who who is just describing this emotional tumult that she's that she's always in and as she described it you know she put her hands on her chest and and she's pretty much just rocking back and forth you know sitting on the couch and and she's just living in this emotional level because it's so intense for her but as we inhabit our whole body that emotionality becomes balanced with other qualities of being becomes just part of our wholeness rather than our only modality. Now, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit more about these qualities of being because often when people talk about the presence inside the body, they talk about it without any qualities. You know, it's just open, unconditioned space. So where do these qualities come from? a really good question. I don't know where they come from, but there they are. They're they're right in the body. Uh, the body makes seems to make these qualities. Um, some people will say they emanate from the chakras, but you know, from the which is the subtle core of the body. But what does that mean? You know, where we still don't really know where they come from. Uh, it's a great mystery, and yet there it is. You know, the more we inhabit our chest, and the more we get to the core of the chest the more we feel this spontaneous uh, welling of love within our body. The more we inhabit our brain, interestingly, uh, the, the more we can actually feel our intelligence, feel the quality of our intelligence, and the more fluidly our intelligence works. So there's a, there's a very simple equation of inhabiting the body and functioning and, you know, the, the, the functions that are our human birthright. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to feel my intelligence more, how would I inhabit my brain? By living inside it. Right? So there's there's space in there. Plenty of it. Plenty of it, actually. Yeah, there's plenty of it. And, and we can either observe it from outside of ourselves. Oh, there's there's that... There's her brain, right? Or we can get right inside it. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting. You've used this word a couple of times in our conversation, transparency, that we're discovering a type of transparency within the body, a lack of a real boundary from the inside to the outside of the body. And I wonder if you can help people understand that. This seems to be something to me that you really get inside of you totally you get this transparency thing yeah there's another you know amazing thing about us uh and also a mystery but 
the more we experience our, our internal being as a whole, the more actually actually open, the more we feel like we're made of space, that we're made, we're made of consciousness. So, you know, to be present in the body means that our consciousness is everywhere in our body. Right? So we live in our arms. That means that our consciousness, our presence, our being is in, is in our arms. So the whole body becomes uh, made of consciousness. Consciousness and physicality become absolutely one. Well, this consciousness has certain uh, characteristics. It's, it's empty and it's present at the same time. It's luminous. Um, it, it, we experience it pervading everywhere. This description is, is in all the spiritual teachings, certain lineages, right? Not in all the spiritual teachings, but in all the religions has, has at least one philosophy that talks about this essence or Buddha nature or ground of being that we can experience as, as kind of mutual transparency of self and other, of inside and outside. So if we're looking at a tree, uh, there's a, that tree is, is also made of space, right? Our own body is made of space. The tree is made of space. If we're looking at the chair, right? Our own body is made of space and the chair is made of space. We don't really know what that is. I, I don't know what it is. You know, so, so some philosophies say that's actually the nature of the universe, that it's made of consciousness, and that as we attune to that, we're attuning to the nature of of nature, right? We're attuning to our actual nature, to pervasive consciousness. And other teachings say that what we're actually doing is experiencing our own mind along with what the mind is revealing to us. So consciousness becomes conscious of itself at that point. I don't think we can even determine what the difference is there right whether whether what we're experiencing as that transparency is our own consciousness clearly uh, clearly unveiled so that along with what we're conscious of we're also the consciousness itself knows itself or whether we're coming into touch coming in touch with the actual nature of the universe however when two people both attune to this level of transparency it certainly feels like it's the same one mind the same one consciousness that they're both attuning to. And then the relationship, Judith, between this fundamental consciousness, as you call it, and the qualities that we find in the body? Mm. Yeah, there again, um, there's a lot of argument in the spiritual world about whether this essence of ourselves has qualities. In both uh, Buddhism and Hinduism, there are teachings that say that this ground of being, this very subtle consciousness, actually has innately qualities. Um, for example, in Hinduism, they'll talk about Satchitananda. So Brahman, or self with a capital S, or pure consciousness, as they call it, um, has the qualities of Satchitananda, which is truth, intelligence, and bliss. And in Buddhism, they also talk about uh, uh, Rigpa, or primordial awareness, various names that they give to this as having the qualities of uh, bliss, emptiness, and clarity. So, and, and other teachers will say, oh no, it's just completely empty. There's, there's no qualities at all. 
Well, I, so I don't know metaphysically whether this space, for one thing, actually exists or whether it has qualities, but I do know that as we inhabit the body, we come into the basic uh, qualities of our being, and that we can feel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we feel those qualities. I don't know. I don't know what that means metaphysically, but we actually and unquestionably feel more capacity for love, actual quality of love, actual quality of understanding. Even our voice, you know, what we experience as we enter into our neck um, has a quality to it. That whole uh, internal being has, has qualitative experience. And then we have a qualitative sense of self that replaces that abstract sense of self. So we're no longer an idea. We're this living, walking, talking, qualitative being. Mm-hmm. And I want to circle back because there were two other challenges of spiritually sensitive people that I want to make sure we talk about. And you talked about the challenge of being authentic for the person that finds themselves shifting to match all of the energies of the people around them. And so what might be an embodiment antidote, if you will, I'm coming up with this phrase, embodiment antidotes, uh, for, for that challenge? Uh, uh, that's, that one's you know, so, so clear that we feel real when we inhabit our, our body. When the consciousness and the body become actu- actually integrated, unified, um, that's when we have a sense of being a real and... Um, it's a very interesting thing that there actually seems to be one center. For example, if I find the very center of my chest, often called the heart chakra, right? If I find my heart chakra, it will resonate. It will light up with other people's heart chakras who are around me, right? So that center of my being touches the center of their being, and the center of their being touches the center of my being. There seems to be just this one center. Well, we can live off-center, or we can live right in center, and um, and when we live in center, we have that we have that sense of being real. Mm-hmm. And then the final, the challenge of acceptance. You talked about the person who finds themselves like an alien landing, and that's the challenge they face. What would be the embodiment antidote for that? Right, uh, self love. Uh, you know, when we inhabit our own body and we feel this love actually in our own body and we feel our own understanding and so forth, it becomes much more difficult to, to loathe ourselves, to dislike ourselves, uh, to, to want to futz with ourselves and make ourselves different than we are. Um, we come into a real, uh, a, a real uh, compassion for ourselves. Uh, and a self actual, actual self love, and then it's very easy to look around us and feel that same sense of compassion uh, and kinship for the life around us, and and compassion in the sense of, you know, I see that they're not quite centered. I see that they're they're off center. That they feel anger. They feel greed. They feel uh, limitation, and um, and yet they have this. They have this capacity to come to center. So this this incredible dynamic between where we find ourselves and, and where we can actually be. Uh, this is this is human nature and um and that compassion for that 
for that sense of, of limitation and that sense of being able to then come towards center um, and the deep desire that that people feel, even if they're not aware of that desire, uh, that as they do become more open, then they do become aware of that desire to 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 live right, to live right in the, the center, right in the source. Um, so that process, that process un- unfolds as we come in touch with themselves. Now, I'm I'm talking uh, about cognitive sensitivity there, about people who who can see what's going on. And how that's both a gift because it becomes the the real perspective that, for example, that this compassion uh, requires. Right? We need that that being able to see the whole picture. That yes, they're they're suffering, but but yes, they have that pure love, that that wonderful light inside of themselves. That kind of perspective, um, and and that ability to um, to encompass to encompass both limitation and potential. But start starting out, that cognitive sensitivity can be a tremendous um, challenge to a child who sees what's going on and yet the parents either don't see what's going on or don't want to be seen that clearly and so negate negate the, um, the person's reality, the, the sensitive child's reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you have both the, the problem and the, the entrance way into uh, spiritual maturity. Now you introduced this interesting term in belonging here, relational trauma. And as you're talking about what life might be like for a spiritually sensitive child, I wonder if you can explain this term, relational trauma. Yes. Uh, that's not that's not my term. Uh, that's a term that's being used uh, in uh, relational psychoanalysis, for example, um, we we can have big traumas like like car accidents or or rapes or you know huge traumas, uh, war, so forth. But the, the actuality is that there's these little inevitable traumas in everybody's life, and those are the things that go wrong between child and parent almost daily, right? So so there's the child, you know, and looking up at this loving face of the parent and suddenly one day the parent's face is not loving. It's it's sad. It's transformed with grief. Or it's angry. It's transformed with anger. So it has transformed from a loving face to an angry face. Maybe this happens periodically. Um, m- maybe there, there are... Um, Irrational behaviors, drunken behaviors, right? So all of, all of these make for um, relational traumas, the small traumas, traumas. Uh, and, by, and so I'm using the word trauma to mean anything that can't be simply accepted and um, and metabolized by the by the child. That the child must protect against against this, or they will be overwhelmed. So that's that's the sense in which I'm using the word trauma, and. All of these traumas are are relational, right? The, the, old, the older sister who comes, you know, banging on you with a with a toy, uh, the the poorly disguised jealousy of the mother for the daughter, uh, or the father for the son. All of these all of these um, twists and turns, uh, even in the most uh, you know normal and supportive family. 
So it sounds like all people go through a level of relational trauma, whether or not they're spiritually sensitive. Yes, yes. And the importance in understanding relational trauma for the spiritually sensitive person, how would you explain that? Well, you know, again, a, a sensitive child will be more alert to these things that don't quite happen, right, to the, to the emotional level of distress around them so they will be more uh, they will have to protect themselves more and more often than the child who doesn't have that sensitivity who's just going along fine you know mother says we're happy so we're happy right um but a person who's more tuned in than that um may have to protect themselves and they may have to also protect themselves from the sounds and the sights and the smells around them more than a person who doesn't have that sensitivity. So the organization of being may be uh, tighter and um, and more copious than someone who doesn't have that kind of sensitivity. But as I said, uh, that sensitivity also can help us go directly into the the organizing and into the the tensions that uh, that with which we have limited ourselves protectively, so that that spiritually sensitive person has more chance to release themselves more easily. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to come right out and say something, Judith, which is that I think your work in this area of spiritual sensitivity is really important and really helpful. And the reason I say that is I've seen so much what's called spiritual bypassing occur in the audience that Sounds True serves, and in the whole area of people who are interested in the spiritual path, which is people find this spiritual sensitivity inside of themselves, and they actually go in the opposite direction than the direction you're describing in belonging here. Instead of going into their bodies, they somehow go out into more of a sense of being different unusual and kind of belonging in space, not belonging in their body. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's very important um, because in order to actually realize ourselves, we need to open our own being to to transparency, to this very subtle consciousness that pervades, that we can experience pervading everywhere. So if we simply keep our, our heart closed and we try to rise above it or negate it or, or tell ourselves that our, our personal story doesn't matter or our personal suffering doesn't matter, then that heart stays closed. We never open our heart to the transparency. Um, and the same with our belief system. If we tell ourselves, well, those, those limiting beliefs, those belong to the, the small Judas, you know, not to the actual being, you know, um, then then actually that clamping down on the brain is still is still there and the 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 you know what's what's important here is that it's our it's our own heart our very own heart you know with all its suffering and so forth that that opens and matures and becomes that all pervasive love and it's our own understanding our own awareness uh which to begin with is is limited and burdened by all sorts of beliefs and abstractions that needs to open and, and is basically the all-pervasive awareness that is part of that transparency. 
and it's our own it's our own our own pelvis our own our own power our own sexuality um that that opens our own being that opens and becomes that all pervasive even uh, uh sensation that pervades everywhere that's part of that transparency physical sensation so if we just simply ignore ourselves and and how we got there you know we need our we need our personal story also because that's the pathway that 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 organized those those holding patterns right so so that very specific story is what we need to revisit in order to be able to actually unfold the specific holding patterns in our own body that then allow us to live within our own body so if we try to just get away from that then um you know we may find some amount of relief but we won't actually realize ourselves now that's a kind of a radical idea meaning a lot of people believe oh the story you know feel the sensations but drop the story drop the story you're actually saying something different i am i am for one thing you know our story that's our that's our richness if if we if we dislike that if we if we um don't honor it um don't respect it then then there's a certain amount of of self enjoyment and and richness of life that we that we miss out on so that's for starters but the other thing is that as i said you know the history our own very specific history of relationship with our very particular mother and father and siblings teachers that's what caused us to to twist away from life to to make ourselves off center to bring ourselves off center so we need to to align ourselves with that volition with that very specific child um and that and the very specific challenges of our childhood um in order to then un, unfold right so you know letting go of these holding patterns is like it's like letting go of a fist right we're le- actually letting go of our grip on ourselves our protective grip on ourselves but if we can't find the muscles you know if we can't not just the muscles but the the command to the muscles that ordered that fist then we're not going to find the the command to let go of the fist right so, you know we that's that same the same uh, alignment right we need to be aligned with that volitional holding of the fist the volitional you know i'm using that metaphorically so that the volitional grip on ourselves that we that we created as children now judith i said i had so much i wanted to talk to you about and i realize i need to bring it to a close but i just have a couple more questions i'm going to squeak in here which is i'd like to hear what you think about this idea that the reason we avoid our embodiment and instead people would prefer to skip their story, skip their body, just go out into boundless space is because we don't want to feel the pain. Like that's the main reason we avoid it. You know, I don't want the pain, so I go out instead. What do you think about that? I think that's I think that's true. You know, I, you know, and I think there's a kind of hopelessness too that that uh, that there's no hope for this for for healing this. You know that you know, okay, so you know, I you know, I did 30 years of psychoanalysis. I'm still, you know, have the same misery. There's no hope for it, but in fact, that there is, you know, and um, and we need to be able to tolerate the movement of pain through us, 
in order to in order to belong here, in order to to really open to life. What can you say about that to help people? I love that phrase: tolerate the movement of pain through us to belong here. Well, you know, it really isn't our actual nature. That you know that that much is is true. You know, so the more we come in touch with the actual ground of our being, the more the more we can let go of all of the movement of life, both both happiness and 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 sorrow. Right? Everything moves through that ground of our being without altering it. As we more and more know ourselves as that ground of our being, it's just how do we get there? How do we get there? So. We need to get there by going inward rather than away from ourselves. So that's that's first step. Um, and then, of course, once we're there, then we can pretty much tolerate everything, anything. Mm-hmm. We let go of the movement of life altogether. Let that we let that be fluid. And then, just one final question, Judith, which is: I've heard you use this phrase a couple of times: spiritual maturity. And I'm curious if you had to define that term, spiritual maturity, how you would define it. What makes someone spiritually mature? Right. Um, well, I think of spiritual maturity as awakening to this pervasive fundamental consciousness. That's how I see it, right? And and once, so, so it can be called non-duality or oneness, as we inhabit ourselves and the boundary, the, con- the constructed, imagined boundary between self and other dissolves. And we find ourselves both present within our own form and open to life. That, to me, is the beginning of spiritual maturity. Once we're there, we can keep opening. We can keep opening to it. You know, there'll still be some residue. There'll still be some holding patterns. And if we can bring uh, patience and compassion uh, to that, then we can we can keep maturing. I've been speaking with Judith Blackstone, and Judith, thank you so much for a very deep and searching and powerful conversation on your new book, Belonging Here, a guide for the spiritually sensitive person. You know, Judith, you're really offering an unusual body of work that combines so much from your experience clinically working with people, your own internal process and discoveries, your work with embodiment and trauma. It's really amazing. I'm very grateful to you. Oh, thank you so much, Debbie. Judith has also written another book published by Sounds True called The Intimate Life, Awakening to the Spiritual Essence in Yourself and Others. And we've also published with Judith a six-session audio series on the realization process, a step-by-step guide to embodied spiritual awakening in which Judith takes listeners through many of the different exercises and practices that are part of the realization process. Thanks, everyone, for listening. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey.